You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. It's good to see you here today. What a beautiful day. And you're sitting back next to some of the most awesome people in the world. There you go. You know how to make friends. But anyway, we are in a series called Flourish Under Adversity, and I have been mainly emphasizing the uh, Gospel of Mark. But today, we're going to venture into some of the other books of the Bible, not only today, but in the following weeks, because this is a major theme in the Scripture, uh, Flourish Under Adversity. You, You constantly see the ebb and flow of being able to flourish in a culture and the challenges associated with that in the Bible. There's an ebb and flow. And so today we're going to jump to a passage of scripture, uh, Daniel chapter 1. I have spoken on this before. If you've been a part of the bridge, you're thinking, oh, he's done this a couple times. Trust me, I've got new stuff for you today. I'm not a guy who goes back to the files and pulls them out. Okay, well then I can't. You didn't say amen, so I didn't. But anyway, would everybody stand for the reading of the word? We're just going to go to Daniel chapter 1. We're just going to touch on a few of the verses up front, and we'll break it down later. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then verses 18 through 20. Let's read together. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now verse 18, 19, and 20. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Now, Jesus, I pray as we look at the word, we ask for that Holy Spirit to speak to our life. I pray that we can hear your voice, not just in our head, but in our heart and in the motives for who we are. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So we're going to look at this from a different angle as what we have been from the Gospel of Mark. Now we're in Daniel. 
going to begin to look at this from a little bit more different angle and we're going to talk about at least a little bit what are we talking about flourishing because sometimes as Americans we can have somewhat of a narrow perspective on what the idea of flourishing looks like. But one of the things that we need to recognize uh, about our faith is this, a key component for us is the fact that as followers of Christ, we're expected to flourish. And I'm going to identify that a little more specifically. But all through the scriptures, it talks about this. It's, I'll give you an example. One, uh, one of the things that Jesus said, he didn't say that my disciples would bear fruit. He said that my disciples would bear much fruit. And that's interesting because he's emphasizing the fact that there is supposed to be some productivity associated with our life. You can go into uh, the book of James where it even says that faith without works is what? So there's supposed to be a productivity factor out of our lives. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about working for salvation. I'm not talking about that angle at all. I'm talking about the fact that the work that God has done in our life does have some outcomes associated with this. And so flourishing, let me just describe what flourishing means. Flourishing means to move beyond the mentality of just surviving. That's, right. That's where you say amen. amen. Okay. It is, it is impacting every dimension of life around us in a positive way, regardless of the circumstance. It doesn't mean that everything agrees with me. It doesn't mean I like everything. It just means this. I impact the room that I go into. What do I? Because Jesus said his followers in, in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Well, salt changes anything that it touches. Light changes the whole dynamic of the room. It just doesn't serve the person who brought the light into the room. It serves everyone who is present. In, and I would say this, depending upon the layout of the room, it even has the ability to shine for those who are outside. And they can see that something is on the inside. So we have to understand this perspective of when I'm talking about flourishing, it's the ability to have impact. That's what, listen, that's why we have been saved. We've been saved to serve. And so that's, that's creating some form of impact. Now, because culture is ever changing, the followers of Christ must have the ability to have what I call an adaptability factor. See, depending upon the culture that you're in, the idea of flourishing might shift, it might change based on the type of culture that we saw a testimonial this morning and we had to edit the story down quite a bit because it's quite a lengthy story about this young boy. But one of the things that happened when the, when the authorities showed up to rescue him, I want you to listen to this. He took off running and they had to chase him down because he wasn't sure that these people had come to help. So he took off running and then there was this high resistance for him to even talk or have any kind of conversation about who he was and the context he was in. He thought it was just another trap, okay? So the idea of flourish in that culture would be what? That this boy understands he's truly been rescued. Just to shift the mentality that this is the real deal. You're not being transferred into another context where things continue. Son, you've been set free. You can go to school. You, you now have the ability to develop your life the way God intended for you, the way your parents wanted you to be developed. See, the idea of flourishing can shift from culture to culture and expectations and what is needed. But the point is this. Christians make an impact where they live, 
where they associate, where they work. We have been created. We have been empowered. Listen, that's what the power of the Holy Spirit is all about. It's to have dynamic living and to have uh, impact. But what happens, especially in this culture, is this next thing. This is what worries me. If we aren't careful, we can create a doctrine of friendly culture as being necessary to flourish as followers of Christ. Well, you know, the headwinds of culture are against us right now. The momentum of culture is moving, uh, moving away from us. And there's a gap that is cre being created between the followers of Christ and mainstream culture. And we're becoming more isolated. We're becoming mo more mocked or, and more, uh, a lot of our expressions are, are being challenged and all these guys. And so it's easy to go, well, the headwinds are against us. We probably need to go into a survival mode. And when the headwinds of culture shift, we can get back to thriving. Can I give you a biblical term for that? Baloney. <laughs> Where is that in scripture? That because the headwinds of culture have turned against me and continue to, to, to get stronger and oppose the, the fundamental things of my life and what I stand for and how I live my life, there is no place in scripture that says, oh, well, you get a pass. Just because things are difficult does not relieve the followers of Christ of their mandate to flourish. It just means it's, we got more rocks in the soil that we have to handle. It means we got more weeds in the, in the crop that we have to handle. But it doesn't say, well, it's just too hard right now. So we're just going to pull back and we're just going to wait. And we're just going to go into a bunker mentality. No, I don't find any place that says let's save up our resources for when things turn around and get more favorable. Okay, what I, let me just say this. What if? What if today is our finest hour and we don't know it? But 20 and 30 years from now, we look back and go, oh my goodness. There was a day that was, that was a God moment. We saw, we saw the activity of God being challenged at a level that we never saw. But we also saw God come through in ways we had never seen God come through. Let me, let me tell you something, I, many of you know this, I love history. And one of the things that you realize is this, the people who made history were totally clueless that they were making history on the day that we assigned to them. They didn't, so I was, I, I'll give you, give you how many, how many uh, I mean, there's so many stories I can give you, but I'll give you one, just because we're so close to the mountains and all this, and Virginia and this. How many have heard of Daniel Boone? I mean, God bless you if you've never had We'll lay hands on you and pray for you. Yeah, there's a safe name, right? Daniel Boone. Everybody knows about Daniel Boone, right? And we, we know what he did. You know, he went to the frontier. He was this famous guy. He helped settle uh, uh, for, for uh, the Kentucky area. Can I, can I tell you, Daniel Boone was clueless that he was making history and that he was even going to be historical and famous. Let me give you the backdrop, a real short story. Daniel Boone had been out in the wilderness for a couple years and he got robbed of two years worth of pelts and furs and things that he had trapped for two years. Came back, he was facing a massive debt because those furs were to pay off his debt. Instead, he's faced with this massive debt. And the guy says, you know what? I can't, I can't ride another two years, you going out there and trying to get all that and come back. Who's to say you're not going to get robbed again? So he this is what he told Daniel Boone. You're going you're gonna to go into hard labor camps and work this debt off. Or I have this venture that I'm trying to get going in Kentucky if you'd like to spearhead it. 
Daniel Boone didn't go, wow, I feel like God's drawing me to Kentucky. You know what he said? He was like, hard labor, work off a of debt, or I can at least take my family with me and go to Kentucky and live at the tip, you know, the spear, the cutting, the, the tip of the spear of pioneers going out there. You know, I really believe God wants me to go to Kentucky. You know, he went, really, literally, legitimately to save his own skin. Legitimate. Who wouldn't have made that decision, right? And now we assign all these dynamics to his life. He had no idea he was making history. He was just trying to stay out of jail. <laughs> a lot of people who made history weren't trying to make history. They were just trying to do the right thing on a particular day with the particular circumstances that got presented to them. They were guided by morals and principles. And sometimes they were just guided by, I need to survive another day. It was survivability. And then somehow their story, they, they make an impact and everybody goes, wow, what an awesome individual. They didn't always have necessarily uh, the greatest pure motives in the world. It was just the ability. So I say that for us, okay, we may not know that we might be making history today. We won't know that till 10, 20 years from now. This is why you need to be guided by principles. This is why you need to be guided by values and God's word. You might be living a significant moment and have no idea that today is significant. Amen. And we see this in the story of Daniel. Daniel was just trying to survive, man. And I'm gonna, I know I've done this story before, but we're going to look at it from some, some different angles. And I've got some new, new insights that I want to share with you today. But one of the things that we read in the, in, about the story of Daniel, you go to the other prophets. And it's amazing what... The prophets were telling the people of Israel. I mean, when, you're, when your nation has been conquered and you're taking into captivity, you know, how many know the number one agenda is escape? Or at least get rid of the guy who's responsible for all this mess, right? Look at this. This is what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah was a contemporary of the day. This is what he said to the people of Israel who had just gone into captivity. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those that carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Yeah, there's probably people going, well, I rebuke that. <laughs> Look at this. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. God says, you're going to flourish in Babylon. You're going, how does that work? They just wrecked my nation, wrecked our tap, our temple, our place of worship. The king says he's God, not Jehovah. And God says we're going to flourish? Oh, he... He doesn't stop there. Look at this. Verse 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Can you imagine the conversation among the Israelites going, I'm not praying for Babylon to do well. I mean, there was probably, there, there was probably people standing up going, Jeremiah, we rebuke you. Pray. For Babylon to prosper? Have you seen these people and their values? No way. Hey, right there, Jeremiah, if he was a pastor of a church, he would have been dismissed. Right? Come on. 
Come on, people. We all know that, right? <laughs> yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams and encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. See, sometimes, listen to this. We look for a word to confirm what we've already decided we're going to do. We say, I want a word from God, and then under our breath, as long as it agrees with everything I've already decided. <laughs> Jeremiah's word was so radically shifted away. He says, you are going to flourish in Babylon. And that's like, that, that is a contradictory statement that cannot happen. God says, watch me. Look at this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you and to give you hope in a future. I have heard so many people use that as a prophetic utterance, as a, as a, as a, as a scripture. And I'm like, do you have any idea of the context from which you're speaking right now? I mean, how many know, if you lift something out of context, you can get it to say whatever you want. But when you put it in the context, he's saying, because you're in adverse circumstances, and God's saying, I'm not going to take you out of the adverse circumstance. I'm just going to help you to thrive and grow in the adverse. We have this idea, prosper, grow, get me out of adversity. And God says, no, leave you adversity and you'll prosper and grow. Then he goes on, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So God says 70 years. And some people go, why 70 years? What's, why would God do something for so long? And he says, yeah, 70 years. You might as well just settle down and get a life. By the way, we know why the 70 years. If you go to book of Chronicles, it talks about that God had mandated it's toward the end of one of the, it's toward the end of the book of the Chronicles. It talks about this, that the God, when, it, when they went into the promised land, God said this, every seven years, you're to take one year off planting and give the land a rest. So you live and you plant for six. And in the seventh year, you let it rest. And at the end of the book of Chronicles, he tells them this. He says, for 490 years, you haven't done that. And so God says, you owe me 70 years. And you say you can't afford to do that now. God says, I can help you. We'll take you into captivity. And we're going to give that land. You owe me 70 years. And you're going you're to let the land rest for 70 years. Isn't it amazing? We think if we forget God's promises, I'm no longer, it no longer applies to me. And God says, don't worry, i got a long memory for you. God says, you may forget, but I don't. And God says, you owe me 70. And you'll return when the land gets the rest that I told you to have been giving it. So that's why God said 70 years. So as we move on from the story, so here comes Daniel and his friends. And there's, there's many stories associated with this captivity, but we're looking specifically at Daniel's life. We're going to look at a couple insights. It's pretty incredible that this this, this, I'm going to say kid, because we estimate that Daniel and his friends were around 14 years of age. So here are a bunch of 14-year-olds standing up to the most powerful person in the world. And they are in the presence of the most powerful kingdom in the world at the time. And a bunch of 14-year-olds 
have this insight that we're going to be sharing today. So much for being a teenager and we need to wait for them to grow up. God says, well, I can help. Here we go. Number one, read it out loud. God is always at work in He's always at work in cultural adversity. Notice this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Everybody read the next two or three lines with me. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Here is your quiz. Who does Daniel say... Let this happen. The Lord. See, everybody wants to blame Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody wants to blame Babylon. Everybody wants to blame bad leadership. Everybody wants to blame the king. We want to blame the army. We want to blame planning. We want to blame. And And Daniel says, it was the Lord that let this happen. Sometimes the activity of God is not what we would expect it to be. We just assume that God's always gonna do things in my favor. Because why? We always assume we're right. Come on. It never dawns on, we all all know the guy that you're sitting with today needs correction, but you don't. I mean, we all know that, right? I mean, we all know that we're okay. It's the guy next to you that you have to talk to, pastor. He's he, she, you know, preaching, you know. We, we're fine. Daniel says, the Lord led us here. We're not here by mistake. We're here by divine appointment. Wow. See, Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of John. He says in the Gospel of John, when he was doing miracles, he says, my father is always at work. So one of the aspects we have to recognize that no matter what the trend is at the moment, we need to know that God is working. The problem we have is, is I don't know what he's doing. In a great prayer, I know I'm being redundant when I say this, but it's just a constant reminder to you. Always ask Jesus this, can you show me enough of what you're doing so that I can make a decision based on obedience rather than guessing? I don't want to guess. I want to be obedient and I want to do what's right, but I can't do that if I don't know what you're doing. So show me enough so that I know what I need to do. And I I know I chuckle when when I say this, but I am sincere because I always say this. Please don't tell me everything. I probably won't sleep tonight. Just tell me enough so that I know my deliberate action of obedience And I can have a peaceful heart tonight. But please don't relay all of the kingdom secrets to me tonight. How many are grateful that sometimes God says, yeah, you don't want to know that. (laughs) You know, just, I love you too much to tell you. I'll just tell you enough and then you can go home tonight and have a normal life. And I'm like, praise God, hallelujah. God is always at work even when cultural adversity is against us. We need to know he's always at work. These next two things, I think will even hit you more. Read it out loud. Resist cultural strategies. Oh, somebody go, oh, I know where he's going with this. No, you don't. (laughs) 
Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Do you see that they were not known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in Israel? Do you see that they were known as Hananiah, Mishael, Mishael, and Azariah? Do you see that? The reason we like those other names is because it rhymes in our culture and it lets us create a rhyme. Okay? So we read the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, here's where I think you'll find some interest. The word Daniel means God is my judge. But the name Belteshazzar means lady, protect the king. It says, if you go into the Hebrew, it says that they were put under the chief official. The chief official in the Hebrew was a eunuch. They had turned Daniel and his friends into eunuchs. And to put them in their place, they gave them names that were demeaning to reflect what had happened to them. So when Nebuchadnezzar spoke to Daniel, he would call him Belteshazzar. And it was a term that was designed to make Daniel feel the weight of his change in identity and how he was viewed by the king and how he was viewed by Babylon. It was not an, it's, I want to show you something. Everybody ready for an aha? Daniel never refers to himself as Belteshazzar. He always calls himself Daniel. Daniel never said in the scriptures that we have, my name is Belteshazzar. Daniel always said, my name is Daniel. I will not let Babylon rename me. You have the authority to force people in culture to call me that, but I do not have to accept it inside. I am Daniel. Let me show you this. It's an insight that we overlook. The name Belteshazzar is used 10 times in the book of Daniel. All 10 references are used by the rulers of Babylon. There were four rulers that, that Daniel served under. All 10 references are used by the rulers of Babylon or by the writer, because sometimes you can see Daniel's writing, sometimes you can see somebody else's writing. And so they're writing about the context that Daniel's being addressed in. And that writer will refer to him sometimes as Belteshazzar. But Daniel never uses the term on himself. He says, you've marred my body but you have not taken my heart. This is who I am. Oh, it goes on even further. You ready for this? So let me show you, I'll give it 10. I can't go through every text, but let me just give you some as example. The king asked Daniel. So you see the king, the king asked Daniel also called Belteshazzar because that's what the king would call. Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dreams and interpret it? Daniel chapter four, verse eight. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. This is the king. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God. And the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Then you go to Daniel chapter 4 verse 18. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. 
Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't quite get his finger on why David or why Daniel wasn't totally on board. He just knew he was different. And he recognized, he says it's the spirit of the holy gods. Notice the plural. See, he tried to take something from Daniel. And that was his identity on how God had made him and the name that he had given him. And Daniel says, oh no. I'll stand there while you call me that name. But when I leave this presence, I'm still Daniel. You don't take that from me, even though you're the king. You don't take who I am. I believe, listen, as followers of Christ, we need to understand we're the redeemed, we're the chosen, we're the saved, we're the delivered, we're the healed. Let me tell you this. Culture might be trying to redefine what Christianity looks like. They can't take the identity that Jesus gives us. Amen. And we don't let them. So, let me show you a little bit about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you probably will feel convicted that you ever even called them that name. You ready for this? In fact, Daniel would not even use the Babylonian names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You'll see the names changing out. Why? Because Daniel says, I am not going to call my friends by their Babylonian name. I'm going to call them by the Jewish name that their parents and my nation gave them. You say, well, we've been singing that for years. It's because it's a rhyme. The words rhyme in our culture, and so it's just an easy way. We go there because of convenience, not because we're depraved people. Okay? It's just easy that the, the verbiages of those names flow easy. It's easy for us to remember because of how they rhyme. But Daniel, even in, in, the, in the book uh, or uh, chapter two, it says that when the king says, I have a dream and you've got to tell me what the dream is and interpret it, he called his friend and, he, and he, never, he never said he called them. He says he called them by their Hebrew names when he said, we need to pray and ask God to help us. They had already been assigned their Babylonian name. And David said, Daniel said, I'm not calling him that. Why is that? Listen to me. So let me, before I go on this, there's a challenge in interpreting these names, okay? Let me tell you what it is. Because they were given Hebrew names. So you have to go to the Hebrew background to find out the meaning of their name. But they were given Babylonian names. You can't go into the Hebrew to find out what the Babylonian name means. Does it make sense? you got to go into the Babylonian world. What does it mean in their culture? Not look up the, na the name they were assigned from Babylon in Hebrew. Because you're going to come up with a different meaning. Does everybody follow that? What did Babylon think, say it meant? Hananiah, his name meant Yahweh has been gracious. He was given the name Shadrach, which is I am fearful of God. What happened was Babylon gave him an opposite name of what his name meant. Because first of all, the emphasis of his name was Yahweh. In his new name in Babylon, it became about I. And in the Hebrew name, it was a gracious God. And his new Babylon, Babylonian name says, no, it's a fearful God. They tried to flip the identity of God in Hananiah's mind. He's not graceful, he's, he's fearful. He was, see, when, it, when somebody's gracious, you have a close relationship. By calling him fearful, they were trying to drive him apart from Yahweh. You can't be as close to him as you proclaim. And we're gonna give you a name that keeps reminding you, Yahweh is far from you. 
Then you come to the name Mishael, which means who can compare to my God? No one. How many? Oh, I'm going to start calling myself Mishael. I mean, I'm, so, I'm a Mishael. They gave him the name Meshach. I am despised, contemptible, humiliated. Can you imagine walking into the room and every time you hear the name, it implies that you're contemptible, you're despised, you've been humiliated because see, he had been turned into a eunuch. Can you imagine assigning somebody a name like that? And how many know, you know why Daniel said, I will never call you that. I will, oh, Michelle, I will always call you Michelle because you're not humiliated. You're not contemptible. You're not despised. Babylon says you are. But we, but can I, these are 14-year-olds, man. These are 14-year-olds with a moral background, a backbone that says, I don't care what he says we are. We're not. And then he says this, Azariah means Yahweh has helped. Abednego means the servant of Nebo, which there's some other phrases I could use, but just basically saying this, I'm an illegitimate child of Nebo. Yahweh has helped, and now you're telling me I belong to another God, but I'm illegitimate. Do you understand why Daniel said, I won't call you guys that? Everybody got it? You start to see that Daniel says, anymore... They're in charge. They can call me Belteshazzar all they want. But when we're together, we're Daniel, we're Hananiah, we're Mishael, and we're Azariah. And when Daniel says we need to pray for God to help us, because if I don't recall the dream that God gave him and then interpret the dream, he's going to kill us all. And it says he's called for Hananiah, he called for Mishael, he called for Azariah. I'm telling you, folks, I hope you never look at the book of Daniel the same way again. Resist the cultural strategies to rename you. You take the way God created you, the names that have been given, and you hold fast to those. Everybody said amen. amen. Oh, I got more for you. Number three, read it out loud. Recognize, recognize culture's plan to tame you. It says he was to, this is talking about the uh, chief official, the chief unit. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So basically it's this. They were telling them. The education that you received is no longer valid. It's not even accurate. We're going to give you the real education. We're going to give you the education that has made Babylon what it is today. And if you learn our way, and what you find is this. They learned, they learned the studies. They learned the history. They learned the language. They learned it well, but they never accepted it internally. Bunch of 14-year-olds. How many of that's redefining the teenage years? Yes. Yeah. They say, yeah, well, we'll learn your history. 
We'll learn your literature. We'll learn your principles. We'll learn all that. But we ain't buying it. I'll pass the test. I'll pass the test well. But if you think I'm accepting that, you're kidding yourself. I hear you. I'll learn it. But I will not accept it as a part of my life. Wow. See, that's what it means when Daniel said he resolved not to defile himself. And we know that the other three were a part of that as well. And so the case being is this. What, we, need to, we need to teach our kids. You have a resolve to say, I hear you. When something's being taught in an environment that is against what they know to be right. You, we need to teach our kids. You have the ability to resolve that. I hear you, but I do not accept it. But I know what I have to Right to pass and I'll pass. But if you think I'm adopting that, you're kidding. There's a resolve that says, I do not accept this. But I understand the environment I'm in. You can, you can try to put ideas in my mind, but it will not find a seat in my heart. I thought it would be more energetic, more enthusiastic. See, we think the battle we're having today is so unique. It's like, hmm, this battle's already been fought. And we have a template. And we know what to do. And we know how to do it. And maybe we need to stop thinking that teenagers are too immature to handle and start showing them, hey, if a bunch of 14-year-olds can stand up to the world leader in his day, you can win the battle at your school. You don't have to be arrogant, you don't have to be defiant, you don't have to be rebellious. But let me tell you, just because they say something doesn't mean you have to adopt it and accept it. Don't. So, we're moving on here. So it says three years. So now they're 17 years old. And they have to go stand in front of Nebuchadnezzar. So if this all happened when they were 14, three years of training, now they're 17. And they're standing, listen, standing in front of the world leader to be tested. Now that's pressure. Yes. You know? So read number four with me. Resist the spirit of adequacy and lean into the gifts of the spirit. Why do I say resist the, the, the spirit of adequacy? Let me tell you something you've never heard as a testimonial by people who've made impact. You want to hear what you've never heard? Yeah, it wasn't until I just backed off and became adequate that I really started to change things. <laughs> What's the secret sauce to what you did as an athlete, as a business owner, as, as a community leader? What? Oh, I'll tell you, it was when I backed off and just became adequate. Man, everything went good. Yeah. You'll never hear anybody at a commencement speech. You'll never hear a motivational teacher. You'll never read a book that says, the key to success, the spirit of adequacy. But why do so many people then try to adopt it? That's good enough. Oh, now there's a game changer. That's good enough. Wow, yeah. No, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into the service, the chief official presented to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel. Look at this. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better. These are 17-year-olds taking on seasoned people 
people who have been serving, I mean, they've already, you know, they're, they're, they're cutting edge exposure around the world to the nations that Babylon, they're taking on the cream of the crop who have years of experience on them. And a bunch of self, a bunch of 17 year olds are being found to be 10 times smarter than the greatest people that Babylon can put at the table. Can I tell you why you need to do the best you can with whatever it is and stops? Well, nobody sees it. Nobody's going to make, nobody cares. Yeah, you don't know until you make the impact and give it your best shot. But I can tell you this. As adequacy, you won't make an impact. But I can tell you this. If you do something powerful, if you do it with the best that you can, you just might be living your finest hour right now. You just may not know it for another 10 years. I know I've used this illustration before. Do you want to go to a, a brain surgeon at some point and say, hey, they told me I need to have brain surgery. They need to talk to you. So can you just kind of give me an idea? How'd it go in school? Well, I got a C minus. I made it. <laughs> you know, that was the minimum. That was a minimum. You know, if you got a D, you didn't get to be a doctor. But, you know, I got a C minus. So I'm a, I'm a doctor. You're like, yeah, on to the next person. Nobody wants an adequate brain surgeon. I mean, just go into the medical field and just decide. Any doctor, any profession, oh yeah, doctor, he's adequate. A dentist, he's adequate. Okay, might just keep shopping. You just, don't get deceived. As followers of Christ, we have a spirit of excellence that comes with us. We do above and beyond what anybody's asking us to do. I dare to say this. We shoot to be stellar because we know that we're representing our God through what we do. Then I want to if I'm representing you. And the other part is this. It goes on. If, if, if you struggle with the gifts of the Spirit, let me tell you, in Babylon, you better have the gifts of the Spirit or you're not going to get any traction. It says wisdom and understanding. In, I know D uh, Dr. Mike, he, he wrapped it up 15 minutes early last week. How many were here? So I put that in the bank so I could use it this week. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, going, going to the savings now and withdrawing some of that 15 minutes. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me tell you the gods of Babylon. By the way, I'm also referring to our culture in that context. Let me tell you the gods of a Babylon culture. They're the, they're, they're the same gods that we have in this culture. In Babylon, education is a god. Because knowledge is power. If I know something you don't know, I can get my way. And so the acquisition of knowledge becomes self-serving. It's not about helping other people and mankind many times. It's about getting knowledge so that I can advance myself and get my way and get other people to do it my way. In Babylon, knowledge is power. And the second thing is what I just said there. The second God of Babylon is power. Power to make people do things they don't want to do. 
power to make them become things they don't want to become. But I have the power to make that happen. And let me tell you, in the, if you look at the gifts of the Spirit, this is the time we need the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom, the gift of prophecy. And it talks about over and over in the Bible, the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way to beat the power of Babylon is with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see that with Daniel. He says, oh, you've had a dream and you can't recall everything, huh? Well, I know the God who gave it. And he recalls the dream and he gives the interpretation. He showed the king Nebuchadnezzar, I'm, you've got the throne, but I am more powerful than you. And it's because of my God. My God tells me things that you forget in secret. And he whispers them to me. Hey, and, and let me tell you, Daniel survived four rulers. Listen, we have people in our government who can't even survive one term. <laughs> Much less four administration change. Daniel, why? Because he understood. And the new kings who would always come in, they always said, we've got to keep Daniel. That guy knows what's going on. And they kept him. I just say that. In Babylon, power and knowledge. Both of those are giftings of the Holy Spirit. We counter the Babylonian spirit with the power of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said amen. amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet as we wrap up this morning. Would you do that? And I want you to lift your hands and praise him. Come on. That he's a God who's with us. He's got our, listen, he just doesn't have our back. He's got our future, man. He's got both. I'm going to praise him. Come on, worship and thank him for that today.